Good morning, and welcome to the Donuts and Divorce podcast, where in the early morning hours, fueled with some strong coffee and donuts, we tackle the hard topics about families going through a separation or divorce. I'm Dorothy O'Neill, your host. I'm a partner and founding member of BOK Law and Mediation Services, located in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where I practice in the field of family law. I also serve as a neutral mediator in divorce and separation cases, and I'm a trained collaborative divorce practitioner, which means I can offer a unique divorce process used to settle cases outside of court, listening to the specific needs of the family. We are changing it up a bit on you this morning. So the vast majority of our podcast episodes up to this point have centered around separation and divorce, which is obviously the theme of the Donuts and Divorce podcast. But there is another aspect of family law that we often handle in our line of work that can kind of preempt a separation or divorce. And we wanted to take some time today to address that. So we're talking about premarital agreements today, and we're going to address you know, what they are, the stigmas that are often associated with them, and what can be included in them that makes them perhaps seem a little more reasonable and relevant than what their reputation suggests. So let's get right into it. To start, we're going to be using the term premarital agreement quite a bit. But if you've heard the term prenuptial agreement or prenup, just know that they are one and the same. I personally prefer premarital agreement over prenuptial agreement because of that stigma that seems to kind of follow the idea of a prenup. So I believe that using the term premarital agreement allows us to almost redefine what this agreement is about and what can be included in it. So to start off, you know, what is a premarital agreement? The kind of hoity-toity official definition is is this. A premarital agreement is an enforceable binding legal contract between prospective spouses made in contemplation of marriage and to be effective only upon their actual marriage. And within these agreements, we're really answering two major questions. The first is, what happens if there's a divorce? And the second is, what happens if one of the spouses dies? Um, And here's the interesting thing that many people don't realize about premarital agreements. Everyone actually already has one. Um, It's just the laws of your state, which would tell you how to divide your property if there was a divorce or a death, if you can't otherwise agree. So what you have to decide is just whether or not you want the court using those laws to divide your property. Another aspect to remember is that premarital agreements aren't always like what you see in the media. They are not just for celebrities or just for the rich. Um, We're going to talk about this a little bit later, but they can be a really helpful educational tool regarding how to navigate death and divorce in a marital relationship. And what I mean by that is when you are deciding on the terms to be included in your premarital agreement, it somewhat forces you to have those really important financial conversations before marriage, which is so incredibly important, especially since what I have seen through my line of work is that finances tends to be one of the primary reasons a party's divorce anyway. So when I say it's an educational tool, I mean that you know we're forcing you to have this conversation that maybe you haven't had yet. Um, But it's really important to do so that you're on the same page with how you'll handle and manage your finances through the actual marriage. So let's talk a little bit more as to the stigma 
that can follow a premarital or prenuptial agreement. And that stigma, you know, seems to be connected to some common misconceptions that I've seen over the years. Um, One is that, you know, it's a sign of distrust in the relationship that, oh, maybe you don't think your marriage is going to last. So let's enter into this premarital agreement, you know, because it's probably only going to last a couple of years anyway. Completely false. That is not true whatsoever. Um, Another misconception is that premarital agreements are unfair or lopsided or you should expect that of them. So like whoever is presenting the premarital agreement is only protecting him or herself and not caring about the other, you know, potential spouse. Again, not true. Um, And, you know, the, the final one, which I think is is probably one of the most popular ones is that it only protects the wealthy, that you have to be kind of rich. Um, So it's only protecting the wealth of a particular family, which again, part of that could be true, but not the entirety. So again, the reality is that a premarital agreement is an incredibly smart planning tool for your marriage. I like to say it is somewhat akin to like an insurance policy uh, only for your marriage. So it protects all of your assets for both sides and you hope that nothing will happen and you'll never need it. But much like insurance, you have the protection and the roadmap of what to do in the case that it does. So you're basically solving problems before they occur when you both get along and actually love each other, which is incredibly important. Um, And I will say that I am seeing more and more premarital agreements coming through the door, um, not only from people who are about to um, enter into their second or even third marriages, and maybe they learned their lesson the hard way the first go round. Um, Those are always popular, but I've been seeing a lot of um, inquiries from the millennial generation being open to them. And, you know, some of the classic cases are like, you know, we're both going to work through the marriage, but, you know, if something happens, we want to be smart about this and we want to make sure that we're um, maintaining our own assets or making sure we keep what we're working towards. And so it's very, very smart. and And I kind of love that they're open to this idea of this planning phase before they get married. So let's talk a little bit more about some of the advantages of a premarital agreement. Um, The biggest and obvious one is that it's cheaper than litigation. So yes, there is an upfront cost to get a premarital agreement. But if you think of it as like an upfront investment to save essentially your money, time, and a headache in the long term or in the long run, it's a worthwhile investment. I mean, you don't have to, you can ask any attorney really, like if you have a premarital agreement and you do end up going through the divorce process, you're going to save yourselves a ton of money by having that agreement that's already in place and just needs to be enforced um, as opposed to starting from scratch going through the divorce process, maybe through the court process and having the court, you know, decide how to divide your, your property um, or, you know, engaging in, in negotiations to do that outside of court. So definitely cheaper than going through like the normal divorce process. Another advantage of a premarital agreement is that it can be a roadmap for your marriage. And what it does is it categorizes or defines the ownership of your assets moving forward. So basically what it's doing is it's setting up a financial plan for your marriage by defining how the assets will be 
categorized for the distribution upon a death or a divorce. Um, the other thing that it does is it ensures that the two of you before marriage are having a conversation in full disclosure of what assets and debts you're bringing into the marriage and maybe even how you are going to manage those assets and debts during the marriage. Um, and I'm going to give some examples about what that might look like. But, um, you know, a common question I get is, do I need to get a premarital agreement? Like, is it even necessary? So to answer the question of who should get one, you know, my first response is going to be anybody could get one um, because it's very forward thinking. You, you know, you may want to keep your own retirement accounts intact, especially if the two of you are going to be working and you have comparable incomes. Um, maybe you want to ensure protection from debts that are being carried into the marriage. So whatever your financial situation is, you know, a premarital agreement can be a really helpful tool to ensure that you are protected. But I will say that there are three main examples, I guess, of when I think premarital agreements are a must. Um, the first one is if you stand to receive substantial gifts or substantial inheritances, then you're probably going to want a premarital agreement to address that. Um, some of the issues that pop up are, you know, under the law, if there is a divorce, you know, your spouse may be able to ob obtain or, or get a cut of the inheritance that increased in value during the marriage. A premarital agreement can, you know, take that out of the equation. Um, it can provide protection in the event that you use inheritance to maybe put a large down payment on a home um, that's going to be titled in joint names. If upon a divorce, your expectation was that you would get that inheritance money back before the equity is divided between the two, the law wouldn't allow that, but a premarital agreement could. So there are a lot of examples as to why you might want to have a premarital agreement in place in the event you're going to receive a large inheritance. Another example of when you should have a premarital agreement is if there are any businesses involved. Businesses are super complex. Um, sometimes they have value as an asset. Other times they have value as a source of income. Um, sometimes they have a lot of debt associated with them. So we do want to make sure um, that businesses don't have to close or fail or file bankruptcy as a part of, you know, the divorce action. We want to try and keep those intact. Um, so a premarital agreement can be a helpful tool with that as well. Um, and then obviously I kind of mentioned it, people who are going on their second marriages or third or fourth or however many it may be um, when there are assets that they may need to be to protect for the benefit of the children that they may have had for the first marriage. So that would also be a good reason to have a premarital agreement. So what can we include in these agreements? Coming from the divorce side of it, I mean, the sky really can be the limit depending on the situation of the two spouses or potential spouses. Um, I've seen agreements as simple as you're each going to keep your own separate property that is titled in your own individual name, no matter if it's acquired during the marriage, um, that's going to be yours upon a divorce. Um, I've seen agreements that outline, okay, we're going to define joint property as only the property that is titled jointly. Um, which the law says, like, 
you know, if you get married, it doesn't matter how it's titled. It could be subject to division and in a divorce, but a premarital agreement can kind of undo that and say, nope, only the joint property titled jointly is going to be divided upon a divorce and we're going to divide it in this way. It could be like a 50-50 split. It could be another, you know, creative or unique way that you want to do it. Um, but we're really dividing um, the joint property and you're keeping your separate property. That's just one example. Um, I will say that most of the time we are defining how the property will be categorized um, because that's such a big part of how a divorce comes into play anyway, that you're only dividing the marital property. So we would have to just be clear on how we're assigning that designation. Another big component of premarital agreements can be alimony. You know, maybe you want to make sure you both waive alimony. So that's not even an issue in the event of a divorce. Or maybe you want to include alimony. Maybe you already know like one parent is going to be a stay-at-home parent through the marriage. Another has like a business or something. Um, and maybe you want to outline parameters for an alimony award. That could be, you know, a specific schedule based upon the length of your marriage. You're going to get X amount um, for years zero to three, you know, the length of the marriage from three to five, you're going to get this amount so on and so forth. Um, or it could be, you know, you're going to base alimony on a percentage of income. So there's a lot of different ways to address alimony in these premarital agreements so that you do not have to then go and litigate it through the court system. It's already a roadmap of what's going to happen upon a separation. It can also address counsel fees, costs, um, any type of financial support pending the divorce. So it can address a lot of different aspects of what would happen, you know, upon a separation and you're moving towards a divorce in that premarital agreement. On the, you know, estate planning side of it, it can talk about the rights upon death. So, you know, if maybe you're residing in the separate property of a spouse who happened to pass away, is there a right to reside in that marital home for a specific period of time? And if so, like who's going to pay the bills for that home? Is it going to come from the estate of the deceased spouse or is the surviving spouse going to pay? Um, it can talk about, you know, disp disposition of property upon death. How will you separate the property that maybe was, um, considered separate property? Is it going to now go to the spouse or is it only going to go to the estate? So we can talk about some of those things as part of planning your estate side of it and include it in, you know, a premarital agreement. And obviously the detail of these agreements absolutely depends on the facts of your particular situation, which is why it's really important to, you know, consult with an attorney about, hey, here's what we have going on. Here are some of our goals, questions, concerns, and the like. And an attorney can kind of help you resolve those goals and explain what you could include in a premarital agreement to help you with that. So we talked a little bit about, that was kind of just scraping the surface of what can be included in a premarital agreement. Here is what cannot be included in a premarital agreement under the law. So I'm just talking about Pennsylvania because, again, I'm only licensed in Pennsylvania, so I can only kind of explain what Pennsylvania law says. But in Pennsylvania, you cannot contract away child support. So you cannot have a situation where you have language in your premarital agreement that says neither side is going to pay child support. The reason for that is the law says that the child support actually belongs to any of the children. So even though one parent may be paying and the other is collecting, it is for the benefit of the children and the law will not allow you to contract that away from the child. So we cannot include that language in a premarital agreement. 
We can technically put custody language in a premarital agreement, and I've actually seen them done in that way. Um, but in my mind, it's kind of a waste of time because most of the time you're doing this and a lot of times you don't even have children at this point in time that you're negotiating a premarital agreement. Um, so to kind of presume you know what your situation is going to be at the time that you have children and then you actually separate is just you're posturing, essentially. Um, so the law allows you to do it, but the reality is, is custody is always modifiable under the law. So even if you put it in there, like, the court is going to go off of what your circumstances are. So they're going to look at it as like a fresh separation anyway. So usually we don't include custody language in premarital agreements um, just because it's, it's really not going to matter all that much. Um, and then obviously anything against public policy could not be included in a premarital agreement. Um, so anything that, you know, essentially violates the law, we would have to avoid. Um, so let's talk about, you know, I explained that a premarital agreement is a binding legal contract under the law. So let's talk about how it is enforced uh, upon like a separation and a potential divorce. So prenuptial agreements or premarital agreements are governed by contract law. So it actually binds you to the terms of the arrangement upon signing it. And under contract law, absent fraud, misrepresentation, or duress, courts will not interfere with the terms outlined in a premarital agreement. In essence, they will not rescue you from an unfair agreement or even be sympathetic to a party's kind of misunderstanding or lack of knowledge regarding the agreed upon terms. What they are going to say is you should have done your due diligence before you put pen to paper and signed this binding legal contract. So let me dive into this just a little bit more. A lot of times we get questions about duress. Um, with duress, I will tell you that unless there are, it has to be extreme, unless there are like threats of actual bodily harm, it is really hard to prove duress. So it used to be people would come in and say, well, you know, my spouse had me sign this like right before the day before the wedding or right before we're about to walk down the aisle. Is that enough to show duress? And the answer is not really. I mean, the court would consider the specific facts of your case, but those days are pretty much gone. Um, what the court would say is, you know, you could have postponed your wedding. You know, this is really important. This is a binding legal contract. You could have done so many different things to make sure that you had the protection, consulted with an attorney, done what you needed to do to make sure that, you know, this agreement was, you know, something you wanted to enforce in the future. And if you didn't do that, that's on you. So that is definitely a question I see all the time as to, does it matter if I only signed it like a day before the wedding? And the answer is no, um, unless you have other facts to support that there was actual duress. Now, there are circumstances where a premarital agreement can be set aside under by the court. But again, I want to reiterate that these premarital agreements are always presumed valid and binding unless you can make proof or evidence otherwise. Um, and again, just again to reiterate, just because a premarital agreement is considered unfavorable to one side does not mean it'll be overturned. Um, the court will uphold bad agreements so long as you both signed voluntarily and had you know, reasonable disclosure of the assets and debts. But if you are wishing to have your premarital agreement invalidated, you have to prove that, number one, it was not executed voluntarily. 
And again, that that's pretty extreme. It's not just that he wasn't going to marry me unless I signed it, or she wasn't going to move forward with this if I didn't sign it. Um, you know, it has to be pretty extreme. And then another way you might be able to invalidate is if prior to executing the agreement, um, a spouse did not receive like reasonable disclosure of the property uh, or financial obligations of the other spouse. Um, So basically that is one component to a valid premarital agreement is that there has to be full and fair disclosure. So if that did not occur and you find out like that a spouse came into the marriage with hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt that was never disclosed, that could be a way to invalidate a premarital agreement. So long as you did not waive that disclosure, um, that then you might be able to invalidate based upon those grounds. Now, there is a ton of what we call case law, um, essentially examples in the law on what full and fair disclosure is. And we really don't have the time to to go into all of it. Um, But it's notable that full and fair disclosure does not mean exact disclosure. So it just needs to be like precise enough to have a general understanding of the financial assets, debts, and income. It does not have to include like an exhaustive list of each and every gosh like pot and pan but it does have to generally include if there are accounts businesses real estate or real property and an approximation of their values and i said approximation Um, it does not have to be down to the cent okay but it has to be generally so as long as you have a general understanding of what your soon-to-be spouse is bringing into the marriage before you sign the agreement it is going to be considered full and fair disclosure okay so um, we talked a lot about these premarital agreements I do want to note that there are a couple other similar agreements that you can enter into depending on where you are at in your relationship. So, um, you know, a premarital agreement is usually signed before you get married, you know, in contemplation of that marriage. There are agreements called post-marital agreements. And those occur or can come into play when you've actually been married. You've gone through the actual um, ceremony of marriage. You're already married, but maybe something changes in your lives that you think, oh, maybe we should have like, again, while we're getting along and we love each other, a post-marital agreement on this. So it could be that you didn't know you were going to get all of this inheritance or you didn't anticipate that you were going to start a business um, or come into some type of venture that you might want to then consider drafting up a post-marital agreement and utilizing an attorney to help you with that. And it is just as valid and binding and it can do all of the same things that a premarital agreement would do. Um, Another agreement that comes into play quite a bit is for people in a relationship who maybe don't want to get married, um, but they are going to reside together. They might actually even acquire property together. They may buy a home together, but it's just not their thing to actually go through the ceremony of marriage. Those are called cohabitation agreements. So basically, it again can contain the same aspects of a premarital agreement. It can outline how the two of you are going to manage your money, what's going to happen upon a divorce or a death if you have property together. Um, so all of those things can come into play with a cohabitation agreement. And it's a really good idea. I will tell you this, people who do not get married, but who buy property together, um, if you 
separate and do not agree on how that property should be divided, it is a long court process through the civil courts to kind of untangle that. So having a cohabitation agreement is really a good idea um, if marriage is not going to be your thing or even in, in preparation. Maybe you just like, you know, you've been together for a while. You're not talking about marriage just yet, but you are going to live together. You might still want to enter into a cohabitation agreement. And then maybe you do get married down the road. Um, but they're, they're really important to make sure that you know how the money is going to be managed during your relationship. So um, some other kind of questions I have received over the years regarding premarital agreements is, you know, how do I approach this with my fiance? And I will tell you, um, there are a couple different ways to do it. But if you are approaching this again as a way or a tool to manage your marriage, um, I think it makes so much more sense in that way. Um, one of the things that I have been doing as of late, and I've seen a huge increase in these inquiries, is premarital mediation. The idea of it is, is the the two engaged, the, the engaged couple will sit down with a neutral mediator and will talk about do they want a premarital agreement? And if so, what will those terms look like? So you're basically working with a third-party neutral to help you kind of build a successful foundation for your marriage. Um, and the mediator can guide you to have those difficult conversations as to what do you envision happening in the event of a divorce or death of a spouse? Um, you can kind of work out the logistics of, will you be combining finances? How is the household going to be run? Um, are you going to keep your property together or separate? How will you each contribute if you are going to keep your property separate and your income separate? Are you going to have a budget? So this premarital mediation can really help to foster communication for an effective marriage um, and essentially kind of solve problems before they occur. So um, that is something that comes into play a lot. Like I said, I have been seeing a huge increase in, in this through my own practice. Um, obviously, as a mediator, part of this is before the parties sign anything, I am ethically required to tell them they should consult with an attorney to make sure they are not contracting away something that's very important to them. Um, and we would talk about that at the mediation table, you know, are you each going to have your own attorneys? What does that look like um, to consult with before you sign it? But I have found just personally that when you do it in this manner, where the parties are working with a mediator to have these conversations in real time at the table together and hearing the positives and negatives of certain aspects of the terms, it is so much better than when you start off by each person hires their own attorney Inevitably, what happens is the one of the attorneys drafts up a premarital agreement that's probably like the best case scenario for their actual client, sends it over. The other party gets so offended by it. Like, why would, you know, my fiance even think that I would sign this? And, you know, it just, it makes it really yucky right before you're going to get married. And it actually has created a lot of problems for some of the clients that I have seen through the years when they're about to, you know, supposed to have the, the best day of their life. So I have seen that with premarital mediation, it is just so much smoother and nicer because we're having these conversations together as opposed to, you know, just receiving this document that kind of controls everything and you, it's natural to be offended by it. Um, so that's just something that I've been doing lately. 
Obviously, you can talk to an attorney about premarital mediation to see if it's a right fit for you, um, but that could be a way that you could go about, you know, implementing this. So, the last observation I will make is, you know, look, like marriage is not easy ever. Um, Anybody who says they have had the easiest marriage and everything has been completely perfect the entire time is lying. Um, You're both going to grow and change. And sometimes that aligns the two of you together and sometimes it pushes you apart. But what I will say is from what my observations have been over the years is that when you can start your marriage with a strong foundation and an understanding of how you each see the marriage moving forward, financially, emotionally, if kids come into play, if you are having those conversations early on and kind of implementing a plan, you are going to be so much more successful than if you just say, yeah, it's all going to work out. You know, I know he has some things or she has some things and this debt, that debt or those assets and those assets, but it'll be fine. We'll be all right. I will tell you that if you can have those conversations early on, you will have a much more successful marriage. So again, think of these as a tool um, to implement a plan for managing your marriage. And if you have any questions about whether this is a good fit for you or not, I encourage you talk to an attorney. Um, Certainly our firm gives free initial consultations, but um, find out if it's a good fit and then, you know, engage in a process that makes sense for the two of you. That's all I have for today. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Donuts and Divorce podcast. If you have a question or comment, please feel free to email me your feedback at doneal at boklawfirm.com. I do make every attempt to read everything, but I can't necessarily respond directly to you. I may use your questions and comments as inspiration for new shows. Remember that the Donuts and Divorce podcast is intended as a general reference and is considered general advertising. Any listener should check for changes in any applicable laws and should consult with an attorney on any legal issue. No attorney-client relationship is formed by listening or participating in this podcast. The information provided does not constitute legal advice and any thoughts or commentary by the podcasting lawyers is provided as a service to the community and does not constitute solicitation or legal advice. Any information provided is on an as-is basis, and the lawyer and law firm make no warranties and disclaims all liabilities for damages resulting from its use. Nothing provided in the podcast should be considered a substitute for advice of competent legal counsel. And in the event the podcast receives emails about the subject matter, no attorney-client relationship is created via that email communication. Thank you.